one little tiny word, empty. It's one small word, but it has tremendous impact based upon its context. As each of those different scenes progressed, I don't know if you're like me, but I felt each one of them. In fact, when it started and there was the empty tank, I'm like, been there. Then it was the empty carton of milk, complete with the baby crying in the background. You could feel that moment. Then there was the empty account and empty nest and empty heart. And I felt each of those, as each of the different scenes progressed, there was this growing sense of despair that I could feel in my heart. It it was interesting because you didn't even have to personally experience those things for yourself to feel what was happening in that moment. There's something about emptiness that is a universal emotion. You, you know how that feels. Even if you don't know the circumstances, you can still empathize. You feel it. There's two parts in that video that really got me. The first part was whenever the, it was the scene of the young lady at the party. She's sitting on the couch alone, and she's texting the words, I guess I just feel empty. The reason that particular scene stands out is because it's different than the rest. That is emptiness while being surrounded by life. The others are emptiness in the context of loss. I've been a pastor for a little over 24 years, and all I can tell you is there are millions of people who live with that exact form of emptiness every single day. They're surrounded by life, but they feel empty. They're popular, but empty. They have a great job. They got a wonderful family. They got a beautiful house, and yet they still feel empty. They're included. They're invited. They're successful, and yet empty. And that's the strange piece about emptiness. Sometimes the source of our our emptiness is hard to pinpoint. If you lose something, emptiness seems justifiable. You you look at that and you say, I can tell you why I'm feeling this because I had this and I no longer have it. But whenever somebody is experiencing that type of emptiness, that is, life is good, accounts are full, family is healthy, and yet they still feel empty, oftentimes the questions become introspective. What's wrong with me Why do I have so much and still I feel empty? I'm not content. Emptiness. The second part of that video that got my attention, but in the best possible way, is that one scene when the woman opens the door, she simply says, Peter, it's empty, referring to the tomb of Jesus Christ. You know that story. That's a story that the moment you saw the door open and you hear those words, all of a sudden there is hope and there's life and there's excitement. There's fullness that comes from that particular scene. When empty refers to the tomb of Jesus Christ, there is a wave of hope and optimism that comes crashing in. It's the reason we get a chance to celebrate Easter. The tomb is empty in the best possible way. Jesus has risen from the dead in the best possible way. 
And the reality of that particular moment in history becomes ground zero for the person who's saying, I'm dealing with emptiness. I'm dealing with sin. I'm dealing with problems that I don't know how to handle. It is because of an empty tomb that we now have hope because of Christ. So in the next 25 minutes, I'm going to do my best to show how it is that the empty tomb that is that symbol of Christ's victory, of him conquering death, that empty tomb can replace our emptiness with fullness, our sin with forgiveness, also our wandering with purpose. And then the last one, it can replace our grief with joy. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. We'll be in verses 1 through 3. But I encourage you to keep your Bibles opened if you have them, because I'm going to reference some of the pieces that are in the surrounding text. Here's what the text says, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse number 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that this would be a divine, holy, incredible moment for people. That those who are followers of Christ, they would see the story with new eyes today and have a deeper appreciation that leads to deeper worship and more faithful walk. And God, for those who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, may the blinders come off of anything that would interfere from the truths of your word strongly resonating in the heart of that person. In Jesus' name, amen. So every year, churches around the world are packed on Easter Sunday. There are hundreds of millions of people who hear the story of Jesus' resurrection. They hear about the empty tomb, and it's all symbolized in what Jesus has done in the tomb, speaking of the victory that we can now have in Christ. Just as the cross of Good Friday signifies Jesus' suffering and death, the empty tomb of Easter Sunday signifies Jesus' resurrection and his life. And while the story is familiar to many of us, we're often left with the question, beyond salvation, how does that story have bearing on my life today? Is there ongoing significance? Is there ongoing impact that comes because of the empty tomb? Well, the short answer for that is yes, there is significance. There is impact. There is ongoing benefit because of the fact that the tomb is empty. So I'm going to try my best to give one basic key truth, and then we're going to pull that out from a number of different perspectives. Here's the key truth for the morning. The empty tomb is essential for human flourishing. The empty tomb is essential for human flourishing. Just know there is a massive difference between existing and thriving. There's a huge difference between surviving and abundance. In our, our culture, we often, we lift up the survivor and we say, look at what they went through. And, I, and I, I understand, people have gone through some stuff, but think about it like this. Surviving many times is one step beyond death. 
And yet Jesus talks about an abundant life. He says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. There's more than just making it. There is abundance. There is thriving. There is this incredible life that only Christ can give. I want you to take this idea of flourishing and let's connect it back to Jesus. The connection is simple. There is no flourishing apart from life and there is no life apart from Jesus. There's no flourishing apart from life and there is no life apart from Jesus. Listen to these four passages as Jesus sets up this connection. He says in John 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just enough life to get by, but an abundance of life. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is life itself. Then he says in John chapter 6, verse 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. His words are not only encouraging, they're life. Then he says in John 3, 16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now just put those pieces together. Jesus is saying, I came to give life, I am life, my words are life, and whoever believes in me will experience eternal life. There is no flourishing apart from life, and there is no life apart from Jesus. Now, for us to understand the relevance of Jesus' victory over death, we need to understand the fullness of his promise as it pertains to life. The quintessential moment that moved the mission forward, that that substantiated everything that he just described, the quintessential moment for that is the resurrection from the dead. So how does that particular moment impact our lives today? I'm going to give you a few thoughts on this. That is, first, the empty tomb means death is not the end. And because of that, we have hope. I don't know about you, but I need hope. We live in a world with a lot of problems. I need hope. We live in a culture with division and sickness and disease and all sorts of issues. We need hope. Hope recognizes that there's struggles in the world, but it also recognizes that things can be better. We need hope. Think of the most helpless situations that humanity faces. Maybe it's getting the news that a loved one of yours has an incurable disease. Maybe you've lost a job after 35, 40 years. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you're facing and and you're thinking this is a helpless situation. Whatever idea we might think of as far as a helpless or hopeless situation, death is the most hopeless one you can get into. Because if you're talking about somebody who has a, a sickness or disease, there's at least the possibility of healing. If somebody loses a job, there's at least the possibility of getting another job. If, if there's a broken relationship, there's at least the possibility of reconciliation. But when it comes to death, death has always been the end until Jesus. Jesus' resurrection from the dead helps us know that there's hope in even the most hopeless situation that you might face. Now, let's be realistic about this. Many people do not believe in the resurrection because they place far more emphasis on reason than evidence. 
And this is important because a lot of times people say, well, if it all hinges on the resurrection and I don't believe the resurrection, I just don't believe it's, it's possible. I get that. I understand that. Reasonably speaking, we know dead people do not get up from the grave. If you're looking at it through reason, you say that just doesn't happen. But here's the issue. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most well-documented moments in history. Dr. Thomas Arnold, who held the chair of modern history at Oxford University, said, and I quote, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of the fair inquirer than that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, end of quote. Dr. Paul Mayer, professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University said, and I quote, if all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable according to the canons of historical research to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter. There is no shred of evidence that has been discovered in literary sources or archeology span that would disprove that statement, end of quote. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, law professor at Harvard, wrote a three-volume work entitled A Treatise of Law of Evidence, which is considered to be one of the greatest authorities of evidence in legal procedures. He applied the principles from that to the evidence related to the resurrection of Christ, and here's what he said. There is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history, end of quote. Here's the reason I bring that up. Jesus' resurrection is not just a fairy tale for religious people. It is a story, historical fact that has been substantiated regardless of a person's religious beliefs by scholars and academia. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should be one of the most startling things that we could ever even imagine. Because we understand if Jesus was dead on the cross, a fact that was confirmed by the Roman soldiers, and if he was alive again three days later, a fact confirmed by over 500 eyewitness accounts, historical evidence, and academia, then that helps us understand death is not the end. In fact, the conclusion alone should bring hope, and that hope that death is not the end should bring about encouragement to feelings of emptiness that you might have. If you've ever faced a moment of having a loved one pass away, you realize the depth of emotion that can come with grief and loss. You can recognize the, the questions people process through, the what ifs, the final words. The, if I just had one more moment, this is what I would say. For the person who is facing the death of a loved one, if there is nothing beyond the grave, then all of those feelings are intensified. But because of his resurrection, we know there is life beyond the grave. There is hope even in the most hopeless situations. The empty tomb reveals that death is not the end. Death has been conquered by Jesus. And for the Christian, death is simply the next step into the greater presence of God.
The empty tomb, it also means Jesus keeps his word and we can trust him. I want you to look, if you've got your Bibles open, I'm going to read a passage in verses 5 through 7. This is, this is important. Listen to what the angel said to the women. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Look at this word. Remember, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Jesus told them before it happened so that when it happened, they would believe. And this is a pattern in Jesus' teaching. If you were to go back into John 13, he predicts his betrayal by Judas and the fact that Peter would deny him three times. Then in John chapter 14, he tells them that he's going back to the Father and he's going to prepare a place for them. Why did he tell them those things in advance? He actually tells us in each of those chapters. John chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus said, From now on, I'm going to tell you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Amen. And then it says in John 14, 29, Jesus says, Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Yes. I am so grateful for that. Jesus understood it's going to be hard for people to accept the fact that he died, was buried, and rose again three days later. So here's what he said. I'm going to tell you before it happens so that when it happens, you'll believe. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. I'm I'm very much like a Thomas on there. I, I, I'm a skeptic. I, I want to weigh the evidence. I want to look at it from different angles. I praise God that Jesus did that for us. But here's the thing. If you're talking about the fact that he is predicting what's going to happen, and it happens exactly as he says it would, that is Jesus keeping his word. That's a big deal for us. I don't know if this is going to be totally brand new information for you all, but if you've read a single article or watched any news over the course of your life, you will know that promises are made and promises are broken many times in the same breath. And I know that this is not pertaining to all, but politicians sometimes kind of fit into this category a little, and that's not the case for all. But how many times have politicians made and broken their promises? Send me to Washington, and I'll fight for you. I'm like, we've never heard that one before. <laughs> Friends, neighbors make and break promises. How many power tools have been permanently borrowed <laughs> with the promise, I just need it today, I'll bring it back tomorrow? Go on ahead and buy another one. You're never going to see that tool again. <laughs> Diet plans make and break promises. Our plan has fast and easy weight loss. It's a lie. I've never experienced fast nor easy weight loss. Now, before we get upset with everybody else, let's be honest. We make and break promises too. And every time there is a promise that is broken... It chips away at trust. And the more those promises are broken and the more trust is chipped away at, 
the harder it is to connect with people. Many times you just don't know who to trust and who not to trust. You don't know, is this a safe place? Is this not a safe place? So you know what happens when people have been lied to again and again and they don't know who they can trust? They isolate themselves and they keep everybody else at a distance. Do you know what happens when you isolate yourself and keep everybody else at a distance? You find yourself going through feelings of emptiness that God did not design for his creation. We are relational beings that were created for a relational God. So the reason I bring this up is because Jesus made the granddaddy of all promises. I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to come back. And he kept his word. He can be trusted. I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus can be trusted. That brings hope for daily life. Here's the last piece. Forgiveness and eternal life are available. We can experience our created purpose. Now, this final statement is only understood when we understand the redemptive story of God that is revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been a part of Sherwood for a while, you have heard me go through the gospel many, many times. Sometimes people wonder, why do you keep going through the same points? Because I want it to be that by the time you go to sleep at night, you can rehearse the exact same points in your brain. I'll say that again for you. I want it to be that when you go to sleep at night, you can rehearse these same pieces. Why? Because you never outgrow the gospel, you grow into the gospel. When God gives you opportunity to share the good news with others, I want you to immediately flip into gospel mode and say, humanity was created for relationship with God. That's our purpose. If we want to understand our created purpose, it has to come back to why were we created to begin with. We were created for relationship with God. There's never going to be a time that we experience fullness if we're not connected to why we were put on this earth to begin with. Think of it like this. A car is created to be driven. A plane has been made to be flown. A hammer is created to drive some nails. If you put any one of those things off to the side apart from engaging their created purpose, the fullness is not there. You and I were created for relationship with God. And until that relationship is in place, we will not find fullness in any other place. That has to be the first piece. So here's the story, the redemptive story of God. Humanity was created for relationship with God. That's why we're here. Our sin separated us from that relationship. Romans 3.23, it tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not that only a few have sinned, all have sinned. It's not about the size of your sin or the amount of your sin or the frequency of your sin. It is about the nature of sin. Sin separates us from our creator. The Bible also helps us understand that there is nothing that we could do to reconcile the relationship on our own. Good works were not enough. Religion, not enough. Great intentions, not enough. But here's where the story shifts to Jesus. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have 
eternal life. That's, that's Easter Sunday. That's what we're celebrating today. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship, the opportunity to step into your created purpose for those who will turn from their sin by placing faith in what he has done for them. That's the gospel story. If we do not understand the redemptive story of God, if we do not understand the gospel, then Easter as we celebrate it is hollow because we don't see where it fits in what God has been doing over the course of generations. He has been doing what only he could do. He has created us for himself. Listen, listen, created, that is our design. Then there's sin's intrusion. It separated us from our creator. And then there's Jesus' intervention. He does what we cannot do so that we might step back into that created purpose. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the reason we get a chance to celebrate. So for that relationship to take place, the resurrection had to happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. The resurrection was the final piece that secured eternal life. If there is no resurrection, there is no gospel. If there is no gospel, then we are still in our sins. If we are still in our sins, then we are still separated from God. If we're still separated from God, we cannot experience our created purpose of knowing him. You've been made to know him. Eternal life is to experience what you were created for from the very beginning. So I'm going to go back to our key truth one more time. The empty tomb is essential for human flourishing. There is no flourishing apart from life, and there is no life apart from Jesus. Now let's get into a really serious, serious moment in this service. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... You have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus. Then Easter has a whole different level of celebration for you. Has nothing to do with wonderful outfits and Easter bunnies and chocolate and Easter egg hunts and all those things. Has everything to do with the fact that Jesus rose again and secured our salvation and redemption. But if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's probably a pretty good reason why you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes the church has overlooked the reason why there are people who are not followers of Christ. So it might be that maybe you've met some Christians and they did not exactly exemplify the character of Christ. They were condescending and hypocritical and judgmental and annoying and arrogant. You just keep adding the adjectives down the list. And in your mind, you're thinking, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with that. I understand that's an issue. It might be that you heard a professor critique the veracity of Scripture and brought doubts into your mind as to whether or not the Bible is true and Jesus is real and heaven and hell are actually places. If that's your thing, I understand that. My undergrads in world religion from the University of Georgia, I spent two years listing as professors tried to dismiss the claims of Christianity. If that's your thing, 
I understand it's a problem. It might be a family thing for you. Maybe you grew up in a a family that was a part of a different religion, or maybe you grew up in a family that had no religious affiliation at all. So for you, the thought of becoming a Christian almost seems like you're turning your back on your family or telling your parents or your grandparents, you're wrong, I'm right. And, And there's an uneasiness about that. If that's your thing, I understand. Maybe you just don't care at all about what I'm talking about. And somebody asks you the question like, why don't you become a Christian? And the first thought in your mind is, why don't you become a fighter pilot or a rodeo clown or something? Like, I I don't know. I, I have no desire for what you're describing there. If that's where you are, I get that. People wrestle with all sorts of different reasons as to why they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's what the Bible tells us. One day, every single person will stand before God. Everyone. And when that time comes, will any excuse that we've given seem appropriate? Most people do not become a Christian because all of their objections have been answered. They become a Christian because in a life-defining moment, God became real to them in a very personal way. And that life-defining moment might be different for everyone. For one person, it might have been a car accident where they had a near-death experience, and they prayed, God, if you're real, I want to live. And, And they lived, and the doctor said, you shouldn't have lived. And that was the moment for them that they were like, I don't know all the other things, I just know he became real to me. For somebody else, it might have been watching the birth of their firstborn. And they're watching this moment, they're like, life is incredible, there has to be a God. And in that moment, it's not that all of their other objections are somehow removed, but in that moment, God became real to them in a personal way. That was their moment. It might be somebody else, they've gone through financial crisis or maybe they've gone through a marital crisis or maybe they've experienced some other type of an issue. Whatever it is, in that moment, all of a sudden it's like the God of heaven just sweeps down and says, I got you, I got you. And in that moment right there, people place the faith they have in the Jesus they know of the word and and he changes their life. He transforms their life and that was their moment. Some of you might be in that moment right now. You think you're here somewhat by accident. You just happen to be in town and family members said, hey, we're going to church. You're like, I didn't know until like three minutes ago. You're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. There's some people who are watching online that you're watching for a reason. According to Scripture, humanity was created to know him. And until we know him, emptiness will always define our life. It has to begin with him. So I'm going to walk back through the gospel one more time. I put it in your notes just in case you wanted to read over it later, here it is. Humanity was created for a relationship with God. That's you and that's me. Our sins separated us from that relationship. 
There was nothing that we could do to make things right. But Jesus did what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross for our sin. He rose from the grave three days later that we might have life. Oh, and listen, he offers eternal life. The chance to know him, the chance to experience your created purpose. To those who will say, God, you are right and I was wrong. I turned from my sin and everything that I was holding on to. And I place my full faith and confidence in what Jesus has done for me. For that person, God saves them. And when we're saved, we experience why we've been put on this earth to begin with. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads for just a moment. And unless there is some emergency of some kind, I'm going to ask that you stay exactly where you are for just a few more moments as we finish out the service. Now is a time that there is a spiritual battle that is happening all around you. There are people that are around you right now. There are people that are watching online that the enemy is telling them, you need to just keep holding out. The enemy is saying, that might be good for somebody else, but he doesn't know what you've done. The enemy is lying, but the gospel will set you free. So I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. And this morning, if you want to know that you have eternal life, that you have stepped into that created purpose, I'm going to encourage you to simply Follow along with me in this prayer. The, the prayer, the words themselves, that's not what saves anyone. I cannot do that. Jesus alone has done what is necessary for us to experience eternal life. So with heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment, if you believe that gospel message as I've described it, and you desire to be forgiven of your sin and enter relationship with Christ, then I'm going to encourage you simply Pray with me and express your heart to God. God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He rose again on the third day. And as best I know how, I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me eternal life. With heads still bowed, eyes still closed for just a moment, I would love to be able to rejoice with you. And wherever you are for just a moment, heads are still bowed, it's, it's between you and the Lord, and I'm just standing here wanting to rejoice. If you have prayed with me at that moment to receive Christ, wherever you might be, for just a moment, would you lift your hands wherever you might be? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You may put them down. Thank you. All through the mezzanine up in the choir, you may put them down. Thank you. So we're going to finish out our service in many ways a traditional way, but also we're going to give another piece here. In just a moment, our pastors and some of the pastor's wives, some of the counselors are going to be down front. And it might be that today, 
you say, I want to talk to somebody right now about this relationship with Christ. And if that's the case, there are pastors and pastors' wives, counselors who want to be able to talk with you right now. There's another piece on this, and that is sometimes people are having to leave quickly or, or they're not sure yet, but they want more information. They, they wouldn't mind talking with someone. They just don't know what the next step needs to be. And if that describes you, then we have another option right now. That other option is there's simply a, a word, the word relationship. If you have prayed to enter relationship with Christ today, we're going to encourage you to text the word relationship to 229-800-0095. 229-800-0095. If you were to text and just write the word relationship there, we will immediately correspond back. There is a gift that we would like to give you that will come in that link to help you understand this new relationship with Christ. If you need prayer, you can text the word prayer to that same number, 229-800-0095. However it is that we can serve you, that's what we want to do at this time. We're going to have a final word of prayer. There'll be a final song of invitation. All I can say is, Today, if you've placed faith in Christ, let somebody know about that. We have people that are ready and willing. They want to pray with you. They want to talk with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask today that you would continue to work in the hearts of people. God, thank you for the fact that there were dozens and dozens of hands that were going up all around the room just a moment ago of people that prayed to place faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would allow this new relationship with you to be so grounded in the word that, God, every day is that celebration of Easter, the reminder of the fact that we have eternal life because of what Jesus has done. God, thank you for what you are doing in this place. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open.